Last week was a little heavy. Would those that were here agree? It was a little heavy, right? And I've heard that several people have had to go back and listen to it again. And that's good because remember when Peyton talked about an animal physically chewing on their cud? They eat it, and then they eat it again, and they eat it again. That spiritually represents that sometimes we have to receive something and we got to go hear it again and hear it again and we chew on the cud, okay? So I know it was a little heavy. Sometimes you got to listen to it twice. If you haven't listened to it yet, go listen to it once and see if you need to listen twice. But it's a good thing because tension is when you dig in because that's when you say, do I believe this? Is this scripture true? That's what we're really saying. Forget what man has told you, what is Scripture saying, okay? So today we're going to get back into Acts, and we're going to ease it up a little bit. Today's going to be a little more practical. Last week was kind of just understanding the bigger picture of where the covenants and the law and the sacrifices fit in. This week is going to be more about some practical things. So the whole goal of going through Acts is to watch what they're doing. And say, are we doing this? Right? How do we apply this to our lives, to our church? So I'm going to start today. I'm not going to tell you how many points I have. Because if I tell you how many points I have today, I'm going to lose you right off the bat. I had three points last week, right? And one was super heavy and the other one was very quick and one was pretty quick. I got a bunch more today. I got one cool. I got, yes. But I'm going to start with a question. Have you ever been accused of something that wasn't true? Have you ever been accused of something you didn't do? So you mean this is going to mean something to you today? Maybe you've been accused of saying something you didn't say. That happened to anybody? Maybe you said something, but your words were just twisted and used against you. Okay? Have you ever been accused of something that wasn't true just because someone didn't like you were standing up for Jesus? Okay? So as we pick up in Acts today, instead of going forward, I'm going to kind of stay where we were the last time we were in Acts. When we were last in Acts, we ended chapter 7. Stephen dies. Why did Stephen die? He was killed for his belief in Jesus. They said he was saying things he didn't say. They said he was doing things he didn't do. So I think this is a super important place to kind of stay for a minute. We were here about three weeks ago, but when he was questioned, what did Stephen do? He stood firm. He stood firm in his belief. He told them about his belief, and then when he was facing death, does anybody remember what he did? I'm going to give you a hint. Who did he look up to? He looked up and he saw Jesus in the face of death. So that was the whole point of that message. Was that when he stood up for his beliefs, when he was facing death, he looked up and then he prayed out to Jesus with the same heart Jesus had. He said, forgive them. Okay? We know this is exactly what Jesus did when he was about to die on the cross. So, do you guys know, if I use the word precedent, do you know what that means? Does anybody know what a precedent is? Somebody want to explain it? Not a president, precedent. Go ahead, Jacob, take a stab at it, buddy. 
No. Good try, though. I'm proud of you. Huh? Not necessarily. She's doing good. She's doing good. Okay, so precedent means something has happened, and now that becomes the standard by which we judge what's going to happen. Okay? Does that make sense? So the Supreme Court, they get, they get a case, and they rule on it. And so they say, in this case, this is our ruling. So now every other case that looks similar to that case, they try to apply the precedent of that case so they don't have to see every case, okay? So it's when we see something, the example is set, and now we know that's the example we're supposed to follow. What I'm getting at here is Stephen has set a precedent for us. Stephen has set an example for us. The precedent is when a believer in Jesus, when a follower in Jesus is... Let, let me step back for a second, because actually I shouldn't say Stephen has set a precedent for us yet before explaining that he had a precedent set for him, right? Because we've already covered in Acts that Peter and those guys were getting thrown in jail. They just stood up and said, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. They went to jail, jail, jail. And the precedent was you go to jail for what you say about Jesus, and the Holy Spirit bails you out. So Stephen would have had this precedent that I'm going to stand firm in my beliefs, I'm going to talk about Jesus, and it's okay if they take me to jail because the Holy Spirit's going to bail me out. But a new precedent was set with Stephen. They killed him. Hadn't happened before. So here's the thing. The new precedent was set. Stephen was expecting to be arrested, but he wasn't expecting to die. But in the middle of dying, did he freak out? No, he looked up and found Jesus. Did he lose his faith? Did he denounce Jesus? Did he turn away from Jesus? He dug harder into Jesus. So what I'm saying is we've got to be careful. Just because we see this happen to someone else's life, it could look a little different when it happens to us. Maybe I get talked about behind my back, and you see a precedent that God took care of that. He exposed it. But then when it happens to you, and it doesn't get exposed the way you think. You can't think you failed. You can't turn on Jesus. You have to realize it can happen different for us. Is this making sense? Stephen has set in a new example for us, a new precedent. Look up to Jesus and have the heart of Jesus, even if it costs you your life. Most of us are not on the brink of losing our life. Stephen did. It's an incredible model to follow. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He, he was bold against his accusers. He stood firm in his belief in Jesus. He was killed. And at the moment of death, he said, please forgive the people that are hurting me. Remember, Jesus said it's easy to love your neighbor. It's really hard to love the people that hurt you. And that's when you show yourself set apart for Jesus, when you can ask for forgiveness for people that hurt you. Okay. So when you're accused of something you didn't do, something you didn't say. You're faced with opposition as you dive deeper into becoming a Jesus follower. That's my hope. We're all at different levels, but you're continually digging deeper. This is the man we need to follow. Yes, we follow Jesus first, but we need to follow the precedent, the model that Stephen set. Jesus came and died for us, and then Stephen comes along behind him and says, when bad things happen, I just look for him. 
And when I look for him, I'm going to have a heart of forgiveness towards the people that are hurting me. So, this may surprise you, it may not. I'm being accused right now this week by at least three different people for things that aren't true. Probably more than three, just three that I know about. Okay? So, I could waste all my time defending myself, or I can get in here and have the attitude of Stephen. I don't understand why these people say the things they say. You don't understand why people have accused you of things this week. I know most of your lives. I know what's going on. I know what's being said. I know what you're coming to us for. And it breaks my heart, but we can have the heart of Stephen. And I realize, by the way, y'all were hoping I'd tell you those three things, weren't you? Oh, good. See, I thought about doing that, but then I was like, but I wouldn't have the heart of Stephen if I told what those three things were. I'm going to look to Jesus, and I'm going to keep moving forward, and I'm going to rely on Jesus to put people in my life that want to hear about him. All right, so I realize that my first point today is simply recapping what we covered last time at the end of chapter 7. But I think it's important because this happens to us every day. Our coworkers, our families, church people. The religious people, ah, the people that aren't supposed to act that way are the ones doing it. But I find comfort, and I hope you will too, this is the same kind of stuff that Peter, John, and all the disciples were going through, Stephen. So point one today is you're going to be accused of things you don't do, especially if you're following Jesus. But be like Stephen, look up. Look up and find Jesus and forgive those that are hurting you. Oh, it's not that easy, Jason. I know. I'm living it every day. I'm trying to set the example as best I can, and I'm not perfect at it. But I'm trying to take everything that's being thrown at me and model we've got to do something different with it. What excites me every week? What excites me is to come in this room and see my family and be and feel the love. That's what excites me. That's why we keep moving forward. That's why I'm going to have the heart of Stephen, ultimately having the heart of Jesus. I don't, I've said it before, and please don't take this personal because I want all of y'all to be here, but if it was down to one other person besides our family, I would keep doing it. I'd be asking what I'm doing wrong, that it got down to one person, but I would still do it. Okay, so when you're accused of saying something, doing something, something, you don't have to defend yourself. The people that know you and love you are going to rally around you. Just like we rallied around her to pray. I don't care what was said. I don't care what's happened in the past. I know she's standing up for Jesus and I'm going to stand with her. Point number one. Point two, I'm going to start with another question, but we're going to do a little flip because point one was all about what's happening to me I don't deserve. Point two, have you ever done something that you regret? Have you ever done something you wish you could go back and just undo? Have you ever done something that you have guilt and shame for that haunts you? told you this is a little tougher question than point one but all of us have okay we all have this in common and guess what so did paul 
I'm just transitioning from the end of chapter 7 and the very last little thing that's talked about in chapter 7 into chapter 8. So as we ended chapter 7 and verse 58, it says, Stephen's accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. Saul later becomes Paul. Okay? So at the end of chapter 7, we got Paul standing there watching all of this happen, and they lay their coats down at his feet. But it gets worse. As we begin chapter 8, verse 1 says, Paul was one of the witnesses, and he agreed, he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. So first of all, he just stood there and watched it happen. Second of all, now he agrees completely. Verse 3 says that Paul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house. He's dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. And if that's not bad enough, I'm going to jump a little bit ahead before we come back. If you jump to chapter 9, the beginning, it says, Meanwhile, Paul was uttering threats with every breath, and he was eager to kill Jesus' followers. So most of you know this story, right? And we'll cover it coming up here in Acts soon. But this man named Saul is going to have an encounter with Jesus coming up really quick, and it's going to change a lot for him. He's going to go from dragging Jesus' followers out of their homes, and it says he was, he, he was eager to kill them. He's going to go from this eager to kill Jesus' followers to being one of the most devoted Jesus' followers of all time, writing two-thirds of the New Testament under the name of Paul. So here's my second point. you done something you regret. Let Paul be your example. Because you think he didn't regret some of those things once he had an encounter with Jesus and he couldn't go back and unkill those people? He couldn't go back and take those coats and say, put your coats back on, quit stoning Stephen. All of us have these regrets and Satan wants to wear us out. But we have to look at these men that went through the same thing and model it. I've done some evil things in my life. I've shared that. I'm open about it. I've hurt people. I've physically hurt people. I've emotionally hurt people, probably spiritually hurt people. But that's not who you see here today. See, I had a conversion just like Saul did. And I had to leave the old Jason behind and I had to become the new Jason that Jesus wants me to be. Do you think I have some regrets about my past life? Yes. Absolutely. Do you think I wish I could go back and undo some things? Yes, I do. But here's the deal. If I hadn't done some of those bad things back then, I might not be so passionate about the fact that Jesus Christ can redeem bad stuff. So we can spend our time going, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. But then I wouldn't be here going, Jesus will save you. He will redeem you. So maybe we don't want to undo those bad things because that's the very reason we step up and do the things we're doing now. Paul wouldn't have had the impact on Christians in the early church can you imagine this guy shows up and you know you're about to die? Then all of a sudden this guy shows up and he goes, whoa, I'm your friend. You're like, get a gun, whatever they had back then, a sword, whatever, get out of here. Like, think about it. Do you, can you see the impact when Saul walks in the door and he goes, my name's not Saul anymore, it's Paul. It's confusing. I know I had scales on my eyes. I was blind. I saw Jesus. I know this all sounds freaky, but I love Jesus and I love you now. You think they weren't like, that's exactly what you would say right before you're going to kill me because I know who you are. 
guess what? When I decided to let Jesus make my conversion, you know what people said? Are you having a midlife crisis? This ain't the Jason we know. I tell a story in my testimony. I used to take customers to Vegas all the time, and I really don't want to tell you all the stuff that happened in Vegas. And I went after my conversion with a customer, and he said, hey, will you take me to this place? I was like, no, I can't do that anymore. And he goes, I want the old Jason back. See, some people want you to stay stuck back there. And sometimes it's really hard to move forward, but we need an example like Paul because in my darkest moment of doubt, regret, shame, I could still stand there and go, I never drug a Christian out of a church and kill him. And they may sound silly, but I can, I can think about that. When bad things are happening to me, Lisa mentioned it last week, I can go, but Joseph had to go through that stuff he didn't deserve when he was doing everything right. When shame and regret come, I can go, but, but Paul, you know, he was able to change. I can change. And when people are saying bad things about me, I can say, well, Stephen had to go through that. And look what he did. He looked at Jesus. See, guys, we have these biblical characters laid out in Acts that we can look up to. And they've shown us the way. My point is that we can get stuck in this regret, we can get stuck in this shame, we can get stuck in this guilt, and that's exactly where the enemy wants us stuck all the time. Or you can join me and Paul and leaving all that crap behind and saying that's not who I am anymore. And if you can't accept that, then get out of the way because there's people that need to hear it. So point two is that we can leave behind those bad mistakes. We can be a new thing in Jesus, a new creation. We can have a passion to obey him and model him and show it to other people. Just like Saul became Paul, old Jason became new Jason. Every one of you can leave the past behind and become the new person. So point one was we will be accused of things we didn't do, say all that. Be like Stephen. Look up to Jesus, forgive them. Point two, you probably will. I'm sorry to say that, and probably have done things you didn't want to do. And there might be consequences, right? If I go out and get drunk and get in a car and kill someone, there's going to be a consequence for that. Jesus' grace doesn't erase that consequence. His grace around, erases the debt, the sin. Okay, does that make sense? So there may still be consequences. Jesus is not a magician. He's not going to just rip your consequences up. He can if he wants so don't confuse, I still have this bad consequence because of my bad action with my bad action defines who I am. Is that clear? <laughs> Point three. Might as well start it with a question. Do you ever feel like you're doing everything you can to follow Jesus, but bad things just keep happening to you? And maybe you start to think this question of why do bad things happen to good people that are trying so hard? You know, the more I dig in, I expect these good things to happen, and many good things are happening, but sometimes I just don't understand why this bad thing is happening. Anybody been there? Anybody there right now? Okay? Have you ever stopped to think that your God that's so much bigger than our minds can comprehend, may just have a plan that's bigger than we can understand that may allow you to be in a place 
or allow things to happen so you can be in a place maybe you never go otherwise. Maybe it's a physical place. Maybe it's a place of faith. So we covered the first part of Acts 8, verse 1. Chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was a witness. He agreed completely with Stephen's killing. But there's a second part to verse 1. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except for the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. So I want you to understand what's going on here. Up to this point, the church is in this little city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's not very big. Persecution hits, Stephen dies, and the circle starts getting bigger as the believers run from trouble and start telling people elsewhere about Jesus. See, God used the persecution to get people where he wanted them to be. Sometimes God has a plan that's bigger than what you can see, and we get so wrapped up in the bad things happening to us that we don't realize maybe God's just allowing some things to happen to push us out somewhere else. I'm going to skip down to verse 4 of chapter 8. It says, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They didn't walk around complaining. Why is this happening to me? I just believed in Jesus and miracles are happening. And all of a sudden they're killing us and I got to run. And this was my home and I had to leave it behind. No, they don't do that. They went and they preached about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told people there about the Messiah. Anybody remember Samaria from the Gospels? They hated the Jews. Jesus goes to the woman at the well, and she's like, why are you even talking to me? You hate me. It's true racism, not American manufactured racism. It's true racism. Jews hated Samaritans. Jesus offered his living water and life to a Samaritan. Now Philip goes to a place he would never have gone before. He would not have gone to the place of his hated enemy. But now he does because of persecution. Crowds listened intently to Philip. So now Philip's in this place where they're supposed to hate him. He's talking about Jesus and they're going, I'm eager. See, sometimes the people that you think should listen, oh, the Jews that Jesus came for, don't. And sometimes the people that shouldn't listen, the Samaritans that are your enemy, eagerly listen. It says, many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. There's your deliverance scripture. If you ever wonder why sometimes people scream when they're getting delivered from a demon, it's right here. It's biblical. Don't think we're weird or whatever. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. Many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in this city. So persecution ramps up, scatters the believers, and this sounds terrible, right? But if that had not happened, would you be sitting here as a Jesus believer today? Probably not, because it would have been so comfortable to stay right there in Jerusalem, the chosen city. So I want you to think about that for a minute. What if the thing you're going through right now is the very thing that you don't even know is going to produce Jesus' followers later? Maybe some of you parents that made this decision for Halloween are going through a little persecution right now, right? But maybe because you're doing it, you produce little disciples that say, I'm going to stand up for God. 
And maybe those little disciples are going to go out and they're going to bring people to Jesus that they otherwise wouldn't have. Because they see their parents doing something that they were supposed to do or they were taught to do. And they said, I'll do it too. See, sometimes we're going through stuff and we don't get it. And it's our own family and our own parents and things like that. But God has a bigger plan. Stephen's killed, persecution ramps up, but the believers did not stop. They were not discouraged. It says they preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. They didn't go hide. They didn't quit doing the thing that got them in trouble. They just got bolder and kept going wherever they could go, and they preached to complete strangers that should hate them in some cases. So here's point three. When you're following Jesus wholeheartedly, and something bad happens to you, keep telling people about Jesus. Just keep telling people about Jesus. Because maybe God will use that circumstance to get you talking to somebody you normally wouldn't talk to. So you can complain about it, or you can tell them about Jesus. The persecution of the church in Jerusalem immediately leads to the salvation of people in a hated area. But I doubt those people that got spread from persecution 2,000 years ago had any vision of Americans becoming Christians because they were going to leave and spread the gospel. Continents they didn't even know existed. Think about that. Is God allowing you to go through something to get you somewhere you normally wouldn't go? This example is given to us right here in Acts chapter 8. Point number four. You guys okay? You want to keep moving with points? All right, point number four. Kind of already said this, but the people that shouldn't listen, that sh- I'm sorry, the people that should listen sometimes won't. So what do you do? The people that should want to hear what you have to say, the people that should listen to your correction or to you tell them about Jesus or whatever, they don't want to hear it. What do you do? Move on. Get up. Get out and find somebody that's eager to hear it. Don't waste your time on people that persecute you. And I understand sometimes it's not that easy because it is a parent or an ex or something like that. I understand it's not that easy. But you can control how many mental cycles you give them when you're not physically with them. And it takes time and practice to get better at shelving that stuff and getting it out of the way. But you got people like Peter, James, and John. These are Jesus' closest friends. And they could not convince the Jews that Jesus was prophesied he was coming for to believe in him. So take a little bit of pressure off yourself if you go tell someone about Jesus and they don't want to hear it. Okay? Jesus' best friends couldn't convince the Jews about Jesus. So you don't have to be perfect in it. You're just supposed to tell. And if they reject you, You don't stay in Jerusalem. You go on to Samaria. Not literally go to Samaria, but figuratively. Go to the area that people are going to listen to you eagerly. Again, sometimes God has a bigger plan than we do. And he has to scatter us to places we don't think we should have to go. And we don't understand in the moment the impact that we're having on people that maybe 20 years from now we'll come back and say, you don't know, you said this this one day. I remember back in 2007 or eight, I met a man, and he was a very successful pharmaceutical sales rep. And anybody who knows anything knows that's a very lucrative sales job. 
And he shows up at our small group. He was in our small group. He shows up at our small group, and he said, I'm leaving my lucrative sales career to go into ministry. And that hit me hard, like in an encouraging way, like, wow, you could do that? And it was five years later before I did it. Five years, I remember what he did and said. He showed me the example. So five years later, I called him. Hadn't talked to him in five years. He doesn't live here. He lives like an hour away. And I said, can I go to lunch with you? And we sat down at lunch, and I said, I want you to know you said something that changed my life. And he said, I don't even remember, I don't even remember that happening hardly. I had no idea it had an impact on you. But see, he just told me how much Jesus was working in his life, that he would give up the world for Jesus and to help kids because he was going into FCA ministry. He was an ex-NFL football player, by the way. So it was easy for him to walk in. Oh, let me go back. He was an ex-Tennessee star. So that gets you in a lot of doors in East Tennessee. He's a household name. He plays for the Miami Dolphins for several years. Parker is a little bitty, no, when Peyton is a little bitty kid, put on his big NFL helmet, you know, when Peyton was like three years old. He had, he could, he had the world. He was star football player, pharmaceutical sales rep, but I watched Jesus working through him to make him change, and it stuck with me, and I don't know if I'd be standing here today if I hadn't seen that. So don't underestimate what you're doing that people see that may change their life that you don't see it in the moment. So these people, they didn't stop witnessing. They didn't get discouraged because they were scattered. They just kept telling people about Jesus. So quit trying to figure it all out. Quit trying to figure out what your ministry is supposed to be. Quit trying to figure out how you're going to try to look like so-and-so in ministry. Just tell people about Jesus wherever you go. And he'll steer you exactly where he wants you to be. And some will be eager to hear it. Some will reject it. Spend time with who? The ones that are eager. The ones that are eager for the change. (laughs) I try to tell everyone I come in contact with something about Jesus. And some of them will engage in a a conversation. And and I don't say, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. He came to save you. I say, just let me tell you what Jesus has done to me, for me. You know, I heard somebody say a couple weeks ago, you're just asked to be a witness for Jesus. If you were a witness for the car wreck, you didn't have to be in the car wreck. You just saw what happened and told whatever, told the policeman what you saw. If you're going to be a witness for Jesus, you don't have to be able to explain everything that Jesus did and every piece of Scripture. You just tell them what you see, what he's done for you. That takes a lot of pressure off of you. And when I do that, some people engage and they talk. And some people don't give a rip. And some people argue. Spend your time with those that want to talk and are willing to listen. Quit chasing those that don't want to hear it. All right. So here in Acts, because of persecution, because of death, everything is spread and great joy was brought to an area that otherwise the believers would have never gone to. And that happened immediately. So there was immediate things that happened, and then there's the 2,000 years later, we're standing here thing. If you don't see what God's doing in the moment and you think he's coming, something's coming against you, you don't deserve, just don't give up. Persevere. Do not let the enemy convince you to give up. Sometimes the people you expect to be eager to hear you are going to be the ones that reject you. And sometimes the people you think won't listen to one word you got to say are the ones that are eager to hear it. So quit hanging out in places that don't want to hear about Jesus. Go find a place where they're eager. 
All right, we're going to get a couple more points out. Those were the long ones. Well, this one's long too. Point five. Acts chapter 8, verse 9. A man named Simon had been a sorcerer. Oh, this is where it really gets good for me. I love this part of Scripture because I think we're about to talk about the problem with many people in church today. Verse 9, a man named Simon. Simon had been a sorcerer for many years. A sorcerer is not a God sorcerer. It's a devil sorcerer, okay? It's not a good thing. He had amazed the people of Samaria, and he claimed claiming to be someone great. And he obviously had power because it says everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one, the power of God. So he was he had the power of Satan, but because he did good things, they called him the power of God. I want you to hang on to that for a minute. It says they listened, verse 11 says they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded him with his magic. So are you telling me that not everyone who says they do things in God's name is doing things in God's name? What? But they said God. They said Jesus. That doesn't matter. They thought this Simon the magician sorcerer that was amazing them with the feats of the devil was from God, and he was not. So we got this man. He's doing magic. He's a sorcerer. The people thought he had the power of God. Now, Philip is doing miracles in Jesus' name, and even the sorcerer realizes my magic from the devil pales in comparison to this power of the Holy Spirit. I want some of that. So in verse 13, it says, Then Simon himself believed and was baptized. Wait, he's going through the motions. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. So doesn't this sound great? This magician that's doing things maybe in the name of God, but he's really the devil is doing it. He, he gets baptized. He gets saved. He believes. Isn't he going to heaven now? I mean, hallelujah, there's another one in the kingdom here. Let's keep reading. Verse 14, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they, they prayed. Okay, so the apostles, remember, they were stuck back in Jerusalem. Now they go on to Samaria to see this exciting news. And when they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, for they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John laid their hands on these believers, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this has nothing to do with point five, but in every sermon i got to say something that will fire up the religious, okay? Remember when we talked about this, when we talked about the Holy Spirit, two different baptisms, clearly laid out here. Baptism in water, but they had not received the Holy Spirit. Then they came and got baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is the laying on of hands. Remember that? It's been months ago, okay? That's a side note. I chased a rabbit, but let's get to the rest of point five. Verse 18, when Simon, so Simon has been saved. He said the sinner's prayer, so to speak. He's been baptized in water, but now he sees something bigger. It says in verse 18, when Simon saw the Spirit was given, when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy his power. You ever seen people going to churches and offer their money up to get power in the church? Yeah. We've had people leave our church and say things like, I'm taking my tithe with me. And I go, take it. That's fine. We didn't need it when you got here. 
okay? Because you can't buy the power of God. You can't buy the power of the church. This is a heart thing, okay? So, so in verse 19, he says, let me have this power too. So we got this Christian been baptized, and he wants to buy something. He wants more power. He says, let me have this power too, so that when I lay hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. I want this new power because it's better than the power I had, and I want it for me. Verse 20, this is where it gets interesting. Peter replies, may your money be destroyed with you. But I thought he said the sinner's prayer, and I thought he got baptized, so I thought he was going to heaven. And Peter just says, may your money be destroyed with you. For thinking that God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this, for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive your evil thoughts. (laughs) Perhaps, meaning if you get your heart right. Verse 23, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy. See, you only want the power, Simon, because I came in and upstaged you. I came into your territory that was yours where you were doing all this power through the devil and I had a greater power. So you received Jesus, you got baptized, and you want to buy this power for you. So I'm telling you right now, not everybody you run into it says it's a believer is a believer. Okay? He wanted the power, but he did not want the heart change. He had power, but he wanted a better power. So we got this man. He said the sinner's prayer. He's been baptized. Peter calls him wicked. Peter says he'll be destroyed. So, guys, this is where we've always talked about. You've got to be careful who you're listening to. There's going to be all these people that are going to tell you that they're Jesus followers, but they're like Simon. They're just wanting what someone else has. They're just wanting some power that you have, and they don't have the right heart. And this leads us right into point six, and this is a short one. Did you notice in that little scripture we read in verse 24 that Simon wanted Peter to do it for him? Simon wanted the power. Peter rebukes him. Your heart's not right. And Simon says in verse 24, then you pray to the Lord for me that these terrible things you said won't happen. So Peter says, repent, change. you got to do something. Simon responds with, you pray for me. There will be people in your life that will say, pray for me, and they don't want the heart change. I'm not trying to make you second-guess everybody you come in contact with that says there's a Jesus believer or that they want prayer but I'm saying you've got to spend time with them and listen to them and understand their heart and watch their actions and watch their fruit and see if they're repenting. If they are repenting, pray for them. If they are not, they are like, Simon, get out. Does that make sense? Simon, the sorcerer, wanted Simon Peter to do it all for him. Pray to the Lord for me. I don't want to do it. You do it for me because I still have the wrong heart. I just want the power. So not everyone that says pray for me is willing to put in the required work it takes to change. And that's hard to deal with sometimes, but it's just a fact. All right. One more point. 
And this one's really fast. We're going to finish here. The power of the Holy Spirit is for those with pure hearts. Plain and simple. That's what we see here in Acts chapter 8. The Holy Spirit's power is available for believers with pure hearts. So if there are people that say, I don't feel the power of the Holy Spirit, I don't see the power of the Holy Spirit, maybe we need to be looking at their hearts and saying, is your heart pure? If it's me, I need to be saying, maybe I'm not experiencing this because my heart is not pure. God, show me what I need to repent, what I need to change, not what I need to ask Peter to pray for me, but what I need to change so I can have a pure heart, so I can have the power of the Holy Spirit, because why do I want the power of the Holy Spirit? For God's glory, not for my glory. Simon wanted it for his glory, for his pocketbook. I'll pay for the power because I'm going to turn around and charge to use the power. No, the Holy Spirit is for those with pure hearts to be used for God's glory, not my glory. Do you get that? You ever been in a holy rolling church? They're speaking in tongues, flopping all over the place. But you're going, I don't really feel the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's because they're doing it for their own glory. If I say, God, give me the power through your Holy Spirit to heal someone, but I want the credit for that, I'm probably not going to get that power. But if i got a pure heart that I'm going to say, I'm always going to point it to Him, maybe I'll get that power. And maybe that person will get healed so they can experience Jesus. Okay, so Acts chapter 8, and we're not even all the way through it. Next week's baptisms. Okay? The water baptism part. But we got seven points out of this first, the end of chapter 7, the part of chapter 8. I'm going to recap them really quick. Point one, you're going to be accused of things you didn't do or say, especially if you're a Jesus follower. Be like Stephen. Look up to Jesus and forgive those that hurt you. Point two, you will and probably have done some things you didn't want to do. Be like Paul. And let Jesus transform you and walk away from that past. Point three, when you are wholeheartedly following Jesus and something bad happens you don't understand, just keep talking about Jesus. Trust him. Point four, sometimes there's going to be people that should listen about Jesus and they won't. Get up. Get out and find somebody who's eager to hear it. If there's ten people that don't want to hear it and one that does, go to the one. Point five, not everyone who says they're a believer is a believer, even if they've gone through the motions. Some people want some power, but they don't really want to put in the required effort of heart change, life change. Point six, not everyone who says pray for me is willing to put in work to change. I'm going to pray for anybody that asks for prayer. But if they keep coming to me for the same thing, I'm going to be looking for are you doing something to change it? And if they're not, I'm going to say bye-bye. And then they're going to talk about me behind my back, and then I'm going to go back to point one and be like, Stephen, do you see how this works? And point seven is the power of the Holy Spirit is only available if you've got a pure heart. You can't use it for your gain. It's to be used for God's glory, not Jason's glory or any of y'all's glory, Okay. So up to this point, it's been a whole lot in Acts about what we should do as a group to look like the first church. But today it gets personal. It's about what you need to do to look like the church. What I need to do to look like the church. 
what each of us has to do each day in our jobs, in our families, in the marketplace, wherever we are, social media, wherever we go, wherever you go. We've got this roadmap laid out for us, the end of chapter 7 going into about the middle of chapter 8, and it shows us practically how to live out being a Jesus follower. If you want these seven points, like, texted to you or something so you have them, you know, Jennifer still has a list of her Galatians 5, right? (laughs) Where she goes back to and says, am I doing this in the good list or this in the bad list? And I'm proud of her for that. That's a simple thing to evaluate life and heart change. If you want me to send you these seven points, send me a text. I'll send you the seven points. So, Father, thank you for giving us such an easy blueprint. You lay it out for us. When people come against us, we look to you. We forgive them. Stephen showed us. Jesus showed us. Father, when we do things that we wish we hadn't have done, you gave us a blueprint for that. Paul, help us to forgive ourselves, Lord. Father, when you put us in places we don't understand, help us not to question you, but to just be faithful and walk through it. When we get hurt by another so-called Christian or whatever, Father, help us to be worried about ourselves. And I don't mean not caring about them, just from the standpoint of, I'm going to keep doing what you want me to do, God. I don't care what others say, because maybe their heart's not right. I'm just going to pray for them and look to you and keep moving forward and look for people who are eager. So, Father, I'm asking you to put people in our paths that are eager to hear. Because if there's 20 of us in here, What kind of impact can we have on our community when you put those eager people in front of us? So, Father, help us not to waste time on people that say they want it when they don't want it. Help us not to waste time on people that are trying to convince us they're Jesus followers when they're simply not, and we can see it by their actions. Father, help us to want your power, to desire your power, but to do it with the right heart of glorifying you and using that power to bring Jesus to more of the world. Father, help us to take this to heart and to use it every day. In Yeshua's mighty holy name, amen.